Good to see you all out here this morning. Good to be together. Um, really excited to have um, an old friend here. Old. So old he just went on Medicare uh, this week. Um, yeah. So to just tell you how old he is, um, Gary and Sandra were present. I'm not speaking about your age, but they were present when my dad was baptized at age 18. Um, so, you know, my dad's up there now, so y'all are not as young as you used to be. So um, we're really glad to have them. Uh, they've known my family since before I was born um, and uh, been good friends to us for a long time. I am deeply indebted to uh, their teaching, counsel, wisdom through the years, and uh, I know that Gary especially loves long introductions, so I'm going to keep on talking about him uh, before we get started here. Um, let's take a moment to pray together, and then we'll uh, get into the Word. Oh, Father, we're really grateful to be here and uh, grateful to be able to open your Word and discuss it together. And we pray now as we look at um, your Word together, um, we pray that you'll teach us and that you'll guide us. We pray that you'll give uh, Gary wisdom as he instructs us and uh, counsels us from your word. Um, we pray, God, that you'll give us wisdom, insight, knowledge, and discernment, that our love would abound more and more, that our faith would be stronger and deeper, that our um, lives would be filled with the fruit of righteousness and the fruit of your spirit. Uh, we pray, God, that you'll just bless us in this hour, that you'll cover us with grace, that you'll fill us with your spirit, and that you'll stir us up to love and to good works. Um, bless us all as we open up your word. Thank you, Father, for the blessing of Gary and Sandra being with us this weekend. Thank you for their willingness to come here. Thank you for their willingness to teach us from your word. Uh, to counsel us and to guide us. In Jesus we pray. Amen. Amen. So I'd like for us to look mostly at two passages this morning. We're not necessarily going to try to teach them in detail, but look at some principles from them. Look at the book of Ephesians, chapter 4. Ephesians is a pretty easy book to get the overall idea of. The first half, chapters 1 through 3, talks about what God's done for us. And the last half, 4 to 6, talks about how we should respond to what God's done for us. In the first three chapters, he emphasizes Jesus and Christ more than he does Lord. In the last three chapters, he uses the word Lord a lot more because Lord carries with it the idea of commanding and Jesus more the idea of Savior. You can see that in 3.1, for this reason I, Paul, the prisoner of Christ Jesus. In 4.1, therefore I, the prisoner of the Lord. <laughs> kind of interesting, the prisoner of Christ Jesus when he's thinking about what God's done for us, the saving and all the blessings God's given us. Prisoner of the Lord when he's thinking about how we should submit to the Lordship of Jesus in our lives. So he tells us basically in chapters 4 to 6 how we ought to walk. In verse 1, 4, 1, walk in a manner worthy of the calling in which you've been called. 4, 17, don't walk like the Gentiles walk. 5, 2, walk in love. 5, 8, walk uh, in the, uh, as children of light. And 5, 14, 5 15, uh, walk as wise men. So the whole book is telling us what God did for us and how we ought to respond. 
So I'd like for us to zero in on some things here in chapter 4, talking about how we should respond to God's love and grace. So would somebody just go ahead and read chapter 4, verses 1 to 16. I therefore, a prisoner for the Lord, urge you to walk in a manner worthy of the calling to which you have been called, with all humility and gentleness, with patience, bearing with one another in love, eager to maintain the unity of the Spirit and the bond of peace. There is one body and one Spirit, just as you were called to the one hope that belongs to your call, one Lord, one faith, one baptism, one God and Father of all, who is over all and through all and in all. But grace was given to each one of us according to the measure of Christ's gift. Therefore it says, when he ascended on high, he led a host of captives and he gave gifts to men. And saying, he ascended, what does it mean but that he had also descended into the lower region, the earth. He who descended is the one who also ascended far above all the heavens, that he might fill all things. And he gave the apostles, the prophets, the evangelists, the shepherds, and teachers to equip, this, to equip the saints for the work of ministry, for building up the body of Christ, until we all attain the unity of the faith and the knowledge of the Son of God, to mature manhood, to the measure of the stature of the fullness of Christ, so that we may no longer be children tossed to and fro by the waves and carried about, carry about by every wind of doctrine, by human cunning, by craftiness and disciplines. Sorry, verse 14 again. So that we may no longer be children tossed to and fro by the waves and carried about by every wind of doctrine, by human cunning, by craftiness and deceitful skin, rather speaking the truth and love, we ought to grow up in every way into him who is the head, into Christ, from whom the whole body, joined and held together by every joint with which it is equipped, when each part is working properly, make the body grow so that it builds itself up in love. Okay, so we're not going to look at every part of this section. We're going to look at the easy parts. But he talks about walking like the, uh, worthy of the calling you've been called with. And he especially focuses on our relationship to each other. He talks about the attitudes we should have in, our, in the body of Christ, in the church. That we ought to have all humility. Not just some humility, not just a lot of humility, all humility. Working together in the body requires me to give up my desires and my preferences and submit to my brethren, to humble myself. He talks about gentleness. He talks about patience. He talks about tolerance and love. He's talking about getting along with each other because we put our own desires and our own will down we show gentleness. We're patient with each other. He talks about in verse 3, being diligent to preserve the unity of the spirit and the bond of peace. It takes work, it takes effort to preserve that unity, to preserve that closeness to each other, to, to be able to work together. We're different people. We come from different backgrounds. He wants us, God wants us in the body of Christ to be united, to work together. But that's going to take a change of attitude from what we normally feel and, and exhibit. He talks about the basis of our unity. You know, we're not just united on some human idea or doctrine or something like that. He talks about in verses four to six, there's one body, one spirit. We've got one hope that unites us. 
We have one Lord, one faith, one baptism, one God. So our unity is not just based on a desire to get along. Our unity is based upon the things we hold in common as Christians. We have one belief, one faith. We have one Lord that calls the shots, one God. We have one hope. We all are hoping for the same thing. And that unity that God has given us in the gospel unites us together in Christ. It's a beautiful thing. It's an encouraging thing. But we need to really make that a part of us. So that's the first step, is we unite together on the base of what God has revealed to us and said to us. But then I want you to look at verse 11. As we're united together in Christ, God has given us some help. Look at verse 11. He gave some apostles and some prophets and some evangelists and some pastors and teachers. Now, people think different things about that, but I think what he's saying is he gave us those people. He gave us those functions. And those are blessings to us. What a wonderful thing that God gave us, for example, some apostles and prophets. Do you realize the critical role that apostles and prophets have for us in, in, in Christ? Back in chapter 2 of Ephesians, chapter 2, verse 20, we're built on the foundation of the apostles and prophets, Christ Jesus, Christ Jesus himself being the cornerstone. Our faith is built on the foundation of the message that the apostles and prophets revealed. If you have a foundation, you don't build the house somewhere else. You build the house on the foundation. Our foundation documents are the messages revealed and recorded from the apostles and prophets. That's what we've got in the New Testament. That's what we're looking at. And if we didn't have the apostles and prophets, just what would we know about Jesus? Well, there are some obscure references to Jesus in some Roman and Jewish historians. And, of course, some early Christians wrote about him. But we wouldn't really know anything for sure about Jesus if it wasn't for the message that was revealed by the apostles and prophets. God gave us the blessing of having apostles and prophets. Look at chapter 3, verse 5, verse 4, starting. By, by referring to this, when you read, you can understand my insight into the mystery of Christ, which in other generations was not made known to the sons of men, as it has now been revealed to his holy apostles and prophets in the Spirit. God revealed the message through the holy apostles and prophets through what they wrote that we can read and understand. So we depend so much on the apostles and prophets for understanding anything about the Lord and what he's done through Jesus. That's our foundation. That's a blessing that God gave us. He's talking about gifts God gave men. One of the greatest gifts was giving people to reveal the message and record it like these apostles and prophets. We didn't have that, we'd know nothing. He also gave us some evangelists. Evangelists would be people who proclaim the gospel, who, who, who speak about the Lord, and who teach us the word. So what a blessing there are evangelists that will preach the gospel, that will teach the message. And that's a blessing to us. You've been blessed with Caleb and Ben here that are evangelists in this congregation and in, in this area. And it's a blessing to have evangelists. You have evangelists that come in from time to time and teach. It's a blessing to hear the gospel preached by people who are not revealing it. If they preach the truth, they're preaching 
the foundation that was laid by the apostles and prophets, but they're exhorting us and teaching us and, and proclaiming to us that message. That's a blessing. Then he talks about, he gave some pastors and teachers. Depending on your translation, there's a sum in front of apostles, there's a sum in front of prophets, there's a sum in front of evangelists, there's a sum in front of pastors and teachers. There's not some pastors and some teachers. I think because he's uniting those two together, pastors and teachers are one function. Think about a pastor. What's our word for pastor? We don't, in everyday life, we don't talk about pastors, we talk about what? Shepherds. So there's, there's some shepherds. Now, shepherds of sheep, what are they responsible for in the sheep? What do they, what's their ba ba biggest uh, responsibility? Saving them? Keeping the sheep, Sa keeping the sheep sh uh, saved? Safe. <laughs> keeping the sheep safe. Say that three times fast. <laughs> what else do they do for the sheep? Guide them. To where? Pasture, so they can eat. They feed the sheep. They arrange for the sheep to be fed. Yeah, they're taking care of those sheep. Now, in doing that, our spiritual food is not the grass. Our spiritual food is the word, so the pastors teach. They're, they're the teachers that are instructing and feeding the sheep. And it's a blessing to have pastors. Now, the Bible talks a good bit about that, the New Testament does. There's some other terms that are used for pastors, like overseers, like superintendents that watch out for everybody, or elders, talking about older men that take the lead. And uh, elders, after a time, were appointed in each church. Uh, there are some certain qualifications that have to be met and so forth. But it's a blessing when a church is able to have men qualified to serve as elders, to serve as shepherds, to watch over and feed and guide and protect the flock. And uh, the church that I'm a part of has three. I'm one of those. And uh, that's, that's been a blessing to us. We've been shepherds for almost five years. And that's, I think, been a help to the congregation. Not that we've been great at our job. But that function is an appropriate function God has given to his people. So when you think about what God's done for us, he's given us apostles and prophets to reveal the message, He's given us evangelists to teach and preach and exhort that message. He's given shepherds to watch out for us and to feed us and to protect us. God's provided us with things that we need for a well-functioning body. Now, think about this. I'll let you talk eventually, but let me talk for a little while first. So uh, think about how it would be if you were in a factory and you had a factory manager and you had 50 line workers. And the way this factory operated is that the manager worked all the machines and did everything on the line, while the 50 other people that worked for the company came three times a week to listen to him hear a lecture on some phase of production. Would that work very well if you had one guy operating all the machines and everybody else just heard him talk every once in a while? That wouldn't, that wouldn't be a well-functioning factory, right? It wouldn't produce very much. What you'd want is the manager to help the workers do their jobs so that everybody was working and functioning to make that assembly line produce a lot of whatever they're producing. But you know how it is in some churches? You've got one or two guys that are running all the machines while everybody else comes to church once or twice or three times a week and applauds them for all the work they're doing as they tell them about what they're doing. That's not what God intends. God intends for these 
leaders to be gifts to us, but gifts for a purpose. Look at, look at 11 and 12 together. And he gave some apostles and some prophets and some evangelists and some pastors and teachers for the equipping of the saints for the work of service to the building up of the body of Christ. He gave these leaders to equip us, to outfit us, to prepare us. To, to, he gave these to equip us as saints for the work of service. So the point of having apostles and prophets, the point of having preachers and shepherds, is to get us equipped and ready to work, to serve, to build the body up. The goal is that the body be built up spiritually, get stronger. But it gets stronger by the leaders equipping everybody to work and serve to building the body up. This is a, an, a, a work that all members of the body are supposed to participate in. It's not supposed to be spectators and workers. It's supposed to be everybody's a worker. Some equipping and some being equipped and doing that work of service. Now, I, as you can tell, I've really done a lot of bodybuilding. <laughs> but I understand that when you build your body, when you do bodybuilding work, you have a goal, right? I know some of you look like you may have done that at some point in time. But, uh, you know, you're trying to lift so much, or you're trying to gain biceps that are so big or whatever, I don't even know the terminology. But you've got a goal. Well, we got a goal. What's the goal? Until, verse 13, we all attain to the unity of the faith and of the knowledge of the Son of God to a mature man, to the measure of the stature which belongs to the fullness of Christ. Look at what he's saying. The leaders are equipping us to work to serve to build the body up until the point that we get to the unity of the faith, the knowledge of the Son of God, to a mature man, to the measure of the stature which belongs to the fullness of Christ. Now think about this. We're a body, right? Who's the head of the body? Jesus. Who's the body? Us. Now, spiritually speaking, how big is our head? Huge. Spiritually speaking, how big is our body? Not so big, right? Right now we got a big head and a teensy-weensy body, and the goal is to build that body up to proportion to the head, to where we become spiritually mature and, and growing up into the head as a proportioned figure. That's the goal. Until we get to the point of being spiritually as mature as Jesus, we got more work to do in getting that body built up. But God's goal for us as Christians is A, we're united by having the right attitude and having the platform God's given us for unity. And that we use the leaders God's given to equip us to work to serve to build the body up until we reach proportion to the head, Jesus. Isn't that a beautiful picture? Thoughts and comments, questions on that. All right, look at verse 14. As a result, we're no longer to be children, tossed here and there by waves and carried about by every wind of doctrine, by the trickery of men, by craftiness and deceitful scheming. Now there are some, Satan's going to try to throw a monkey wrench into any good thing that's going on. And one of the ways he does that is with false teaching. He wants us to develop the maturity that we're not just children 
whipped around by anybody who comes along and says something eloquently. I remember as a kid, I went to a few religious debates, like where there were two guys and they had time limits and they had a subject they were discussing and one person would put off on one side and the other one on a different side. I heard debates on uh, like, uh, you know, whether or not there were one or three persons in the Godhead. I heard debates on like, uh, you know, whether people could today speak in tongues and things like that. And uh, several different subjects. You know, it was frustrating to me. You know, I was 12, 15, 18, and I hear one guy talk, and I think, yeah, that's right, that sounds good. Then the other guy would talk, and I'm like, no, no, he's right, that's, 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 I was wrong. Then the other guy talking, I switch back to his side. And when whoever talks last, that's what I believed because it sounded good. They, they, both sides would sound good. They had their, you know, arguments, you know, well constructed. And I read some debates even where a similar thing, but they were written out. And I did the same thing. Like I'd go from one side to the other depending on who I just read. And I was really frustrated by that. It's like that shouldn't be right. And as I studied more and learned more. I got to the point where I'd listen, and I hit one side, and I think, no, that's wrong, and that's wrong. And he misquoted that, and he twisted that out of context, and I get to where I could see, no, that's not right. Our goal is spiritual maturity with the word. So not children anymore, tossed here and there by waves and carried about by every wind of doctrine. You don't want everybody who comes along and says something to, to snow us and to uh, impress us. Develop maturity, conviction. Because man's trickery and deceitful scheming, I'll tell you, false teachers are, are conniving. They'll, they'll say things and it'll make it sound good. They'll twist and weave passages together out of context and, and misdefining the words and equivocating. And, and by the time you get done listening to them, it's like, wow, that sounded really good. And then you start examining it more carefully and you realize that's a house of cards. There's nothing to it. But the trickery, the deceit, we've got to really be grounded spiritually, not to be misled. I worry that sometimes we don't study the Bible enough and carefully enough and honestly enough to have conviction and understanding that will keep us from being swayed. If somebody came in here and, and said something that sounded pretty good, you know, half of us would probably swallow it and say, that sounds good to me. We've got to develop. We've got to mature to the point we don't do that. But speaking the truth in love, he says in verse 15, we're to grow up in all aspects into him who is the head, even Christ. The goal is growth into the head. Growth to reach proportion to the head, growth to develop and mature and be stable and solid and steadfast. From whom, verse 16, the whole body, being fitted and held together by what every joint supplies according to the proper working of each individual part, because of the growth of the body for the building up of itself in love. What do you see stand out there? Which parts of the body are supposed to work? All of it. Every member. You've got a body. I wonder how many members are in your physical body. A bunch, right? Depends on how you count them. But yeah, you've got a bunch of, of members. And uh, if you've got a body that's functioning really well, how many of those members are functioning? How many of them are working? They all are. Now, there are some members you could get along without. You know, you could get along without a finger or two or three or something like that. Wouldn't work as well, you know, and that opposable thumb is really handy. You'd hate to lose that. There's some things you could get along without, but you won't work well. There's a whole lot of members of your body you just can't live without, you know. 
and 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 the well-functioning body, the body that's really working well, every member is doing its job. If your heart decides to take a break and not work for a while, what's going to happen to you? It's not going to be pretty, you know. And ditto your liver, your kidneys, your lungs, you know, so forth and so on and so on. Every member needs to be working to the building up of the body. So our goal is not to find some super-duper hotshot preacher or whatever to come in and he'll do all the work and we'll just uh, pay him and, and applaud him. The goal is that we're all being equipped to do the work to build up the body. And when all the members are working together, do all the members do exactly the same thing? Well, of course not. We don't need that. That wouldn't work very well. If we were all thumbs, we'd need uh, some fingers, you know, to it against and all that. We need different members doing different things, but everybody cooperating, working hard in their role builds up that body to grow to proportion to Jesus, and God is honored by that. Comments, questions, thoughts, man? To that last point, I love that he says, from him the whole body fitted and knit together by every, not large muscle or what, by every supporting ligament. Yeah. So we think about all these muscles that are important for our legs to work or our arms to work or whatever. You know, the ligaments to connect the muscles and so forth, things that we think are inconsequential, those things get ripped up in work. And so things that we think are insignificant in our work in the body of Christ are essential and crucial for the function that we do together. And you know that's true. I got a friend just now. I think maybe I, f I got the email yesterday or the text and I didn't pay much attention. I think today he's having surgery for the sixth time on his Achilles tendon. He's not a whole lot older than me. I mean, he's younger than me. He's not a whole, what would he be, 45? And uh, he's, uh, you know, he, he entered playing basketball like 10 years ago. And they had to go in four times that time because he kept getting infected. And then it's, it's ruptured again, got infected again. Just an Achilles tendon. Not a big deal, right? You know, I mean, down there on the bottom of your body. And, well, it's, it's really a problem. Yeah, it's a big deal. Yeah. I mean, we need every member doing its job and being healthy. You know, if it's not, it's going to mess up the body. So the goal is involvement of every member doing its function properly and, and helping the body grow. That, that's a beautiful picture in the physical body when it works. It's remarkable. I mean, if we only knew how our body really functioned, I mean, if you study biology very long, you start learning some things. But there's so much complexity and design, and it's just impressive. God made this thing really good. He made the spiritual body like that if we're all working and fulfilling our role. Other thoughts, comments, questions? You, you see a verse 14 when he says as a, as a result, we are no longer touched. Do you see it as something to be accomplished, or so are you just speaking for Ephesians like something over here? Well, I think it's the result of the members working together and maturing and growing. If we're really growing and maturing as Christians like we should and working together, then it will make us strong and not fluctuating, not susceptible to every wind of doctrine. You know, if we're weak and flabby and not mature, then we'll just, anything that comes along, we'll swallow it. And that's part of the connectivity part. That's part of the connectivity or the importance of it as well is, you know, we help each other um, as, what does he say? 
um, waves and every wind of doctrine shows up. We help each other to grow up and to test out that what is true and what is right by working together to, to be able to determine what does scripture actually say and how do we stay faithful. Good point. Yeah, good thought. Other comments or questions? So uh, I'd like to switch over to Romans 12 for a minute and talk just a little bit more about this body idea and some of the uh, roles that we have. What are some of the members of the spiritual body and what do they do? And this may help us think a little bit more about roles we can assume in the spiritual body. So somebody read for me, if you don't mind, Romans 12, verses 3 to 8. Okay, so he wants us not to think too highly of ourselves in verse 3. The person who thinks he's the only one the body needs, or he's the real blessing, or begins to overrate himself can really mess up a body. You take somebody who's trying to be a big shot, somebody who wants everybody to look at him, somebody who wants attention, wants glory. That's always going to be a problem in the body. And, uh, but he says we've got many members in the one body, and they don't all have the same function. It's just the point we were making. There's different members, they all do different things, and they work together to make that one body. But what we need to do is exercise our function appropriately. And I like it here that he actually mentions some functions. This is not an exhaustive list. You've got other passages that mention other things, but this is a suggestive list. It helps us think through what are some of the things we could be doing. So think about it. If prophecy according to the proportion of faith, I don't believe anyone today is a prophet. I believe prophecy was a spiritual gift that passed away with the first century. And we now have the revealed will of the apostles and prophets. But all the rest of these are still going. So we have service and is serving. Are there ways you could serve this body here? What are things you could do to serve? There are so many things you could think about. What about people who have hard times in their life? What about people who are lonely, who maybe live by themselves, who don't have a lot of interaction? What about people who are discouraged, who need encouragement? What about people who have small children, who need some help sometimes, who need somebody to watch them sometimes so they can get out and do other things? What about people who are elderly and in bad health? What about people who are taking care of others who are in bad health? 
What about people who need various kinds of, of things? What about people who need food sometimes? You know, there's all kinds of ways to help and to serve. You have to know the body. If I don't know you very well, I have no idea what you need. So I've got to get to know you and understand your situation. And then I may realize, you know, it would really help you if I could do this for you. You know, you live in New York City, there's probably not any of this. In our area, somebody might need their lawn mowed or their uh, driveway bush from snow, you know, shoveled out. Maybe their walk, uh, you have those. Uh, but you know, there's all kinds of ways to serve. And, but but you, don't, you won't come up with those unless you're thinking about it and unless you're involved with people in the body, realizing, oh, that would help them. They need this. It would encourage them. So being, being um, you know, on top of things and just knowing those people in the body and their needs. And then he talks about he who teaches in his teaching. There needs to be teachers in the body. Not everybody's cut out to be a teacher. But some of us do teaching in other areas. Some may be actual school teachers. Some may be teaching at work or teaching their children or whatever. Teach, teach the word to people. Teach the word to people in the body. You know, but now, you know what there are. <laughs> I've seen churches where a lot of people like to talk. They didn't have much to say. You know, they thought they did. But they didn't have the word in their heart. You can't teach something you don't know. So if you haven't studied the word significantly, you're not going to be able to teach because what you're going to say isn't going to necessarily be true. You won't even know whether it's true or not. And it won't be very valuable. It may be very superficial because you've never really read it much. So it takes a lot of work to be a teacher, but boy, wouldn't it be helpful to have more teachers that were really helpful in passing on the word and knowing it deeply and being able to communicate it to others? We need that. That would be a, that'd be a help. That would be an encouragement. I just like him talking about different, different uh, areas of the body. He says, he who exhorts in his exhortation. Is there a difference between, between teaching and exhorting? What's the difference between teaching and exhorting? Yeah, Michael. I would say teaching is supposed to impart knowledge while exhortation is intended to spur on action. Yes, excellent. That's exactly right. So you're teaching to inform, but you're exhorting to, to motivate, to encourage, to spur on action. That's exactly right. It's a good, good way to look at that. There are people who need exhorted. Some people need to be taught. They don't know any different. Some people need encouragement and spurring on to do the right thing. I, I, I've used this example many times. This has been many, many years ago. I was in a church. When I moved there, there were two elders in the church. They were fairly young elders. It was a fairly young church. And uh, there was a, a family, young family, two small children, that they had been converted when they were younger, and they'd fallen away, and they'd just come back to the Lord. And they looked like they had a lot of potential, but they were very weak. They were very inconsistent. You know, you'd talk to them, you'd think they're really going to catch it, and then they were just really inconsistent. They were inconsistent in their attendance. They'd come every once in a while. They wouldn't come for a while. They were inconsistent in their Bible study and their practice of, of Christianity. And they just needed, they, it wasn't so much they didn't understand as they just weren't motivated. And so this, this elder moved in with them. It almost seemed like that. He didn't literally move in with them, 
But he just started going over there all the time. He, he worked with them. They had a big garden and things. He'd go out and garden with them. He'd call them all the time. They were at his house all the time. I mean, it's just like he'd moved in with them. You know, he was just with them constantly, encouraging, every once in a while, gently rebuking, you know, pushing them, you know, trying to motivate them. And, and he's just with them all the time. Month after month after month, no change, no change. You always, you talk to him, you felt like they're on the verge of really making something. But they weren't, they didn't. They just kept kind of, everything would come up, everything would discourage them or distract them. And this elder just month after month, week after week, just living with them practically. With them, talking, encouraging, motivating. And it took about a year and a half of that before suddenly the light bulb came on. I don't know what happened. I don't know if he finally figured out the right thing to say or they just finally got tired of him uh, encouraging them, but they just changed. They really, they became on fire. They really cared. Within a couple of years, Harold was appointed as a deacon. And then he ended up, he lived kind of far away. He went, started going to a different congregation. He was an elder in that church for years, may still be, I don't know. It's like, wow, what a difference it makes when somebody just adopts somebody and decides, I'm going to live with you until you grow up and start doing what you need to do. We need some exhorters. And he was not, and, and this elder was a guy, he'd say what needed to be said, but he'd say it while he was giving you a hug. You know, you wouldn't feel like he was down on you. He, he'd spe- he, he was willing to say, say things plainly, but he loved you when he did it. You didn't feel like he was bawling you out. And uh, we need people to exhort. Look, look at the next one. He talks about he who gives with liberality. I mean, there's something. You know, being generous. People need that sometimes. People are in bad situations. People need to be taught the gospel, and there are ways of providing for that financially. Some people have financial resources. But, you know, often we think about, well, you know, I'll give my tithe. You know, that's, that's been popular in the religious circle. I'll give my 10%. Well, that may be good for some people. But it may be that I've got enough money. I ought to be doing a lot more than that. I ought to be sharing in various other ways. And that may be one of my contributions. I was impressed in 2 Corinthians 8 with how the Macedonians gave out of their deep poverty and begged Paul for the opportunity to contribute to the needs of those Christians back over in Jerusalem. You know, they didn't even know them. And they were really for themselves. Paul said they gave of their ability. He says they gave beyond their ability. Paul Paul hated to accept it from them because he felt like they needed it so bad. But they insisted on the favor of being able to share in this contribution for those poor saints in Jerusalem. What a blessing when you've got people who are wanting to use their financial resources, not just, oh, a few percent here, there, yonder, but really wanting to use what they've got for the Lord. We've got a uh, situation right now with a guy that I may tell you more about later in his story or something, but he lived on and off the street in various places, converted a few months ago, and has really turned it around. He's 61. But he's got a record, and he's got a bunch of stuff against him. And we tried to get him a place to live. He's living in a motel room right now. But the place won't accept him because of his record. So a couple of the guys in the congregation bought a duplex with their own money. So they've got to find him a place to live. He'll, he'll pay some rent. It'll be good for him to pay some rent. He's paying rent where he's at in the motel. But, but they did it, not because they were wanting the duplex, but because they wanted to provide him a place to live. Fortunately, they had the money. 
the house is closing on Friday, and he'll be able to move in and have a real place, which will be really great for him. You know, there's a lot of different ways to help, but one of them is helping be generous with the things we've got. He talks about he who shows mercy, he who leads with diligence. We need some leaders. Now, what's a leader? Is a leader the guy who stands behind and is whipping you, trying to get you to move? Where does the leader stand? Leaders, leaders in front. You know, take, blazing the trail, taking the lead. It's not a matter we need more people telling everybody what to do. We need more people taking the lead to do things that need to be done. And encouraging others, come join with me. We'll do this together. Because yeah, we got plenty of people want to tell everybody what to do. We got plenty of people wanting to, to throw their weight around and make sure everybody does what they want them to. But we need people to lead diligently with effort. They're trying to blaze the trail, go before the others, and show them the way and get them, encourage them to join with them. There's so many ways to do that. But you see, this is a matter of every member seeing, you know, I could do this, I could do that, I could do something else and fulfilling their role in the body. And then he finally talks in, in verse 8 about he who shows mercy with cheerfulness. People need mercy shown. Who needs, who needs to come over to your house for a meal and some, some association, some encouragement? You know, who needs somebody to care for them when they're ailing? Maybe, maybe, maybe go by, maybe move in for a week or two. Take care of them after they come home from the hospital or whatever. Who needs some just words of encouragement? What kind of a person do you want coming to help you when you're down? Somebody who's, oh, I'll do this for you. You ever had anybody do something for you and they did it, but they made you feel like you'll never ask them again? <laughs> you know, they belly ached about it so much and complained so much and were just so sour about it. I don't want to ask them anymore. You want some cheerful mercy showers. Some that are really happy to do it. Somebody who comes to you and says, I want to do this for you. Oh, no, I don't. Yes, you do, and I want to. This is going to be a blessing to me. Let me help you in this way. And comes in with a smile on their face and helps and, and makes you feel like you did them a favor to let them help. Isn't that a blessing when you've got some people? Imagine you had a body filled with servants who were serving, teachers who were teaching, exhorters who were exhorting, givers who were liberal, leaders who were diligent, and mercy showers who were cheerful. If you had a body filled with people like that, whoa, wouldn't that be amazing? And what would that show the world? What would they see? What would they see? Love, exactly. And what did Jesus say in John 13, why all men will know you're my disciples by your love for one another? Imagine what an impact it would have on the community when they saw a body like that, where everybody's working in their way and what they can do with the gifts and abilities God's given them. Everybody's enthusiastically joining in and participating to do what, what they can do. What a wonderful body that would be. What an amazing thing that would be. That's what we need. That's our goal. Our goal is to honor the Lord by being the kind of body he wants us to be. Comments, thoughts, questions, ideas. Comments. Yes. This is a great example, like uh, coming from a single guy. 
this is a great example uh, of having like a, a relationship with your fam uh, the church family. I assume in a relationship, uh, the husband takes care of the need of the, uh, the wife and, and likewise for the uh, wife. So this is showing you if we, the body, each member do their part. Everybody's need will be met and everybody's needs will be taken care of. Definitely there will be any lacking. And this is just a great thing or a great foundation and a great pattern to follow in order so we can have a great relationship among each other. Yes. I want you to think about something. You know, Polycarp talked about being a single man. When you heard him say that, when you thought about being a single person, what do you think? If you're a single person, do you think, boy, I hope people serve me? Or when you think I'm a single person, do you think, man, that gives me all kinds of opportunities to serve more? Take your situation, whatever it is, wherever you are, and think, what is special in my circumstance that gives me open doors to serve and serve more? Single people can do so much because they're, they're not tied down to their family. They're not tied down with the responsibilities of the wife and children. They can do things that a, a married person couldn't do. And it gives them real opportunity to serve. But, but how many times in just in our, our relationships among us, how many times do we think more about being served than about serving? What are they doing for me? Not what am I doing to help the body? It's a good thing the members of our physical body don't act that way. You know, part of our body doesn't go on strike against the rest of the body because we don't think we've been received adequate honor or whatever. So let's everybody think, what can I do now what's being done for me? Other comments or questions? Thoughts? Another thing I like about this list is it's so obvious how many, uh, how much these different gifted people need each other to be able to do their, their work effectively. So if I'm only, uh, whatever, pick one of those gifts, but if I don't have the other members that do their part, it might be pretty uh, pretty harsh or pretty soft or pretty whatever, just lacking. And so it helps to see the complementary nature of all these gifts and the needfulness that we need to think about uh, each other. Do you ever feel like some members of the body just don't need anything? They got it all together, and I can't really help them? That's a myth. That's not true. No, the body is never one member. It's the collaboration of many members together. If you feel like one person that you know in the body just doesn't need anything, you just don't know him well enough. Right. Other thoughts, questions, comments? Often the gifts that we think are, or maybe we may be tempted um, to think are the most important are the ones that are sometimes the most visible, you know. But when you think about like members of the body, Paul talks about in First uh, Corinthians 12, you know, one of the most uh, important parts of the body to us is our hair. But in terms of the value that it adds to the body, it's pretty small. You know, some of the less visible parts of the body are much more valuable. And I think it's really important for us to try to get the scripture in our mind where we don't, I think it's easy to just kind of repatch like this. Yeah, everybody's important, but... In reality, we really think of certain roles as being really important and other roles as being not very important. Um, but I think this really stresses the importance of, of each gift, and we need to appreciate that. Yeah, I've used that illustration myself. How much attention do we put on our hair as opposed to our heart? Yeah. But you can live quite well without hair. Right. But you can't live very well without your heart. <laughs> you know, the showier members, 
the more glamorous members, whoever we think that is, are probably not as valuable as members in the background. What members would have the greatest impact on the church? I say the members that pray the most and the most sincerely and fervently. And I never see that up front. You know, that's what they're doing in their closet. But they may be the members who are having the greatest impact on the body, and nobody ever even knows it. Other thoughts or comments? Last comment for me. Uh, this, this is just great how, uh, like, if you think you're useless, it shows you how you can be useful. Yeah. And I appreciate how um, God, when he asks us to do something, he asks us from what we have, not what we don't have. So if we look at what we do have and how we can, be a, how we can put that into use, but I want your gift. I don't want mine. Right. You know, I want I want to be able to do this, or I want to be able to do that. Nobody ever asked me to do this or that. You know, look for th- opportunities God's given you, ways that you can serve. There's things you can do. It may not be what you really wanted to do, but it's something God's given you the opportunity to do. Other thoughts? Okay, so yeah, I mean, you may be needing to exhort somebody who's not doing well or who's being harmful to others. That's still a work in the body. We've got uh, some members of our physical body that carry out the waste and repair the damage and things like that. So there's a lot of different roles in the body. And, and all of them are valid if they're contributing to the spiritual health of the body. Yeah. Uh, so. I like what you mentioned about motivation. And, um, you know, because you know, it's not only about motivating, but in your, in your, in your question, you mentioned consistency. And some of us, we tend to give up when we're not seeing the results because we always tend to think, oh, I'm doing this, then it should produce, it should produce this. But most of the time, the question that I ask myself, what happens when the motivation is not even there? I don't know if also the person who needs the motivation should also sometimes seek the motivator. Yeah, we struggle with that. We work when we're on a high, when things seem good, when we can see the impact of what we're doing. But we need to have the consistency. I love Proverbs. Working consistently, diligently. The farmer who works and works and works and only later sees the crop. The guy who's not got his eyes on the ends of the earth, chasing after this dream and that that dream, but is doing the consistent, hard, diligent work to help the farm grow. So that it is a lot more important to be diligent than it is to flame out. You know, I got this all, I'm all excited about this for a week or two, and then it's gone. Uh, in Jeremiah chapter 7, God speaks to Jeremiah and told him, like, preach that you speak what they would not listen to. And then actually that's what happened. He preached them until they ended up in a exile. Sure. And it never happened. Sure. Uh, Jeremiah never gave up. You know, he always was. Uh, because it's so, I don't know what it is, but it, it's never a good feeling like when you put in so much work and then you're not seeing results. 
Um, to be consistent at that point, I know I think God can work. Yeah, it just takes diligence and trust in God. All right, so I think our plan here is take a brief break. Yes, speak. Oh, sorry. No, I think with, with all the, the same comments, it could be a little laugh at each other, but I feel like it's a little strange. Um, aren't you supposed to be consistent with the work? And sometimes they get weary. They need to be explicit. Yes. In order to kind of work with the diligence, but you are not, you know, it's easy to, when people are in front of our leaders, and like everybody, even in the most times, even in the last, are thinking and trying to bring about those who are keeping up. But those who are not doing the grounds, like the grounds or the work that's behind the scenes, and some people may call it, but are again, and they see that they're valuable. Good point, yes. We need to be recognizing, encouraging, comforting those who are working and helping them to see that their, their role is important and what they're doing in the body makes a difference. Good point. I like that. So I think our goal here is to take a brief break. Right. Then we're going to meet men with men and women with women. Sandra's going to take the women, I'm going to take the men. It's really going to be an opportunity for you just, just to ask questions and talk. Um, we realize this, you know, that there's not many people in this congregation who are as old as we are. That's kind of a bad recognition. I got old quicker than I expected to. But uh, we've we, I, we preached full-time since I was 22, and that was in 1980. So, you know, I've, we've got some experience. We don't know all the answers. Uh, they tease me that my favorite uh, answer when I lived in Brazil was, I don't know. So I can say that easily. But we'll, we'll be glad to talk and, and share ideas and, and get some questions and thoughts. So, so we'll take a break and then move back. <laughs>